This parable that we're looking at today is the parable, often called the parable of the prodigal son. Um, that name, of course, came long after the scriptures were written. It's a, a title placed on it for, um, the, by the editors of, of translations to keep our place and help us know uh, what follows. But the whole of Luke 15 is really about lost things. There is a lost sheep, there is a lost coin, and there is a lost son, and then there is another lost son, all within this chapter. First, we're going to look at the first lost son. Uh, this lost son is the one that the parable, the name that we often use for this, uh, is, is referring to, uh, the prodigal son, the lost son. This son believes that he can find meaning and purpose and truth and fulfillment on his own, that he knows best. He sees his father, his father's life, in a sense, as a stumbling block to his goals, his dreams, his seeking of meaning and purpose in life. So what he does is he goes to the father and says, Father, I want my inheritance now. In other words, he's saying, Father, it would be more convenient for me if you were dead and I could get the stuff that I get because you were alive at one point. He's saying to the Father, I'm finished with you, but I still want your stuff. So this son wants the Father's wealth rather than a relationship with the Father. So he takes that wealth and runs away. And he goes off to live as he wishes, but he's not satisfied. In fact, the money runs out, and he finds himself in a desperate situation and comes home to the father. When the father sees him, a long way off, the father runs to him. Now, this father is a wealthy landowner. He uh, is an important person in the community. And in that day, those guys did not run. They had long robes. They had to pull up around themselves in order to even run. And it just wasn't done. They did not generally bare their legs to people. Uh, they were much more refined than that. But this father, he did whatever he needed to do to run down that road to meet his son on his way back and embraced him and kissed him. But the son, the son's plan was to say, Father, I know that was wrong what I did, and I will repay you by becoming your servant and earning back what I took. The, the son presents himself as a servant but the father welcomes him as a son. This son was never not beloved by this father. Even when the son broke his heart, the father saw him as a beloved son. And so when this son comes home, he gives him a ring and clothing. The ring, of course, symbol of, a symbol of belonging. He welcomes him into the family again, into his status as a family member again. And throws a great feast of celebration. But that son was not the only lost son. There was a son that stayed close at hand, but we find is still lost. 
the older son, while the younger son pursued the path of self-discovery, the older son pursued a path of moral conformity. But he too wants the father's wealth rather than a relationship with the father. So he stays close and waits. He plays by the rules. But he too is left unsatisfied. And once again, when this son comes back and hears the party going on and is frustrated and angry that there's a party going on for his brother who didn't play by the rules at all, he becomes very angry. And once again, the father takes the initiative and goes outside from the party to meet with his son. Again, not normally done. Typically, if you refuse to come into a party, the host has no obligation to go out and find you and encourage you to come in. It's rudeness on your part not to come in. But the father wanted a relationship with this son so much that he pursued him and went out of this party to find him and to talk to him. Did you notice that this son also presents himself as the father's servant rather than the father's son? Look at verse 29. He answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In other words, this son didn't see his relationship with his father as a father-son relationship, as a loving relationship, but as a relationship of servant to master, waiting for the day when he could gain the wealth that his father would present him when his father died. The attitude that he has is, if I obey if I play by the rules, you owe me. So he is using the path of moral conformity to win the love of the father or the wealth of the father, really wanting the wealth more than a real relationship with the father. And this, I think, is the truth of this passage that is probably the one that is most important to Jesus as he teaches it. Now, we love the sentimental idea, and it's more than sentimental, that the lost can come back to God and God will embrace us. God still loves us. There's no, we can't go far enough away for God to turn his back on us. But when we come back, he will embrace us. But Jesus, remember, is speaking to the Pharisees as well as the tax collectors and sinners. It's interesting to note there, there are two groups. Uh, in verse 1, there was a man who, uh, verse 1, sorry, uh, where the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were also there muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's the context into which Jesus tells this story. So what he's saying to the Pharisees is, you are like this older brother. You have not come to the Father for the Father's sake, for a relationship with the Father. You've come to the Father by your moral conformity in order to earn a place, in order to be important, not to humble yourself before the love of the Father. 
Tim Keller, uh, in his book Prodigal God, on which much of this, the ideas of this sermon are based, wrote this, speaking of elder brothers as those who pursue the path of moral conformity as over and against uh, younger brothers who pursue the path of self-discovery, says elder brothers have an undercurrent of anger toward life circumstances. They hold grudges long and bitterly. They look down at people of other races, religions, and lifestyles. They experience life as a joyless, crushing drudgery and little intimacy and joy. And there is little intimacy and joy in their prayer lives. They have a deep insecurity that makes them overly sensitive to criticism and rejection, yet fierce, are fierce and merciless in condemning others. Does it sound familiar? So many of us have been taught that moral conformity is the way to please God, and we work hard to do what is right. Many of us have a natural older brother mentality. We are the responsible ones, and we look down on those who uh, pursue self-discovery. Now remember, those who pursue self-discovery are looking down on those who pursue moral conformity, thinking it's silliness and unnecessary and squelching of uh, the soul. But those who uh, pursue moral conformity, of course, look down on those who pursue self-discovery. But both groups have a problem in that they are not connected with God. Both paths, that of self-discovery and that of moral conformity, are paths that lead not toward relationship with God, but away from relationship with God. So let us look now at the father in this parable who represents God. The father sees that his sons love his stuff, love what he can do for them more than they love him, but he wants them to know his love. He has a father's heart that always overflows with love for his sons, no matter how his sons are treating him. So he reaches out to them. He calls to them. He wants to welcome them home. And in this, um, I think it's important in Luke 15, when you're looking at Luke 15, to look at the whole uh, chapter. That's why we looked at the audience at the beginning in verse 1, but then the two parables that precede this one are the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd goes out and finds the one lost sheep and brings it back to the 99 because that sheep was lost and needed to be found. And the woman who needs to find a coin, a very valuable coin, and does searches everywhere in her home and finally finds it. And his greatly rejoices. And the same when the sheep is found, great rejoicing happens. And when this son comes home, there is great rejoicing. So all of these parables are parables of lostness and being found. And what is lost has great value. And when it is found, there is great rejoicing. The kingdom of God, as Tony Campolo said, is a party. It is joy-filled. If your walk with God is not joy-filled, maybe you're acting as an older son, 
an older sibling, one who is pursuing moral conformity, who is pursuing doing the right thing in order to earn a place with God. Now, I'm not saying, uh, most preachers wouldn't, that uh, it doesn't matter how you act. Certainly, morality is important. But if you're measuring your relationship with God by your own moral conformity, you're doing it wrong. Because it is only when we humble ourselves before God and receive his love for us that is not based on how well we behave or what we've done or even um, by, by the first son's measurement, by the level of repentance we achieve. The father's love is already there, but it's repentance that allows us to receive it. It's humbling ourselves before God that allows us to receive his love and recognize that it is not based on what we've done or what we could do or anything of that sort. Remember, it is not the good who are saved. It is not the good who enter the kingdom of God, but the forgiven. And the forgiven are those who admit that their sins have kept them from God, but also their righteousness has kept them from God. Now, people say, what, what do you mean? Well, if our righteousness is the path in which we try to justify ourselves before God, we are not choosing the path that God has set before us to experience right relationship with him. Because the path is grace. The path is what Jesus Christ has done for us and receiving that, receiving that by faith in God's grace, not based in ourselves, not trying to earn God's favor, but just receiving it. And then whatever life of obedience we live is lived out of the obedience of gratitude, of love, of recognition that God is good and God wants what is good for us. It has been said recently that this parable, other than maybe being renamed the parable of the lost sons, could be renamed, and this is what Tim Keller did in his book title, the parable of the prodigal God. For if you look in a dictionary uh, what prodigal means, it means spending recklessly and lavishly. Our God loves recklessly and lavishly. And he wants you to enter the party that is his kingdom. And if there is in you a sense that if someone you don't think is worthy is invited to this party... you're probably basing your relationship with God on your sense of your righteousness. It's interesting how this parable ends. It doesn't. The father tell, invites the older son in, representing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are there criticizing the fact that sinners and tax collectors are hearing Jesus. And he invites this son into the party, but we don't know if he comes. We don't know if he's willing to humble himself. We don't know if he's willing to accept the love of the father for what it is and not something he has to earn. So this parable ends 
with us asking ourselves a question, how will it end? How will it end for that son? Will he come in? How will it end for the Pharisees and teachers of the law? Will they finally get it? How will it end for you? How will it end for me?